0: I gotta tell you the truth about this this morning. That I really do love being able to um, affect and build the worship culture of our church because I really believe that it is the single most important thing that the church does, and everything that we do revolves around worship. It's what we talked about last Sunday. Is where we worship is where we're putting God on the throne. We're saying and declaring that there is a God and I am not Him and he is on the throne, that he is worthy, that he is worthy of praise, and it's not that God is some kind of egomaniac wanting our worship, and it's not even that he created a creation in, in specifically so that we would worship him, but it is it's us doing what we need to do to declare God as God, and putting him on the throne, and, and reordering our lives, and setting things straight, and so that's why it's so important, and I, I just love taking this time to to really do that together and to, to build a worship culture in our church. And I just want you to know that you are free to worship as the Lord puts on your heart. And I say that knowing that a lot of you, what the Lord puts on your heart or what is on your heart even is not the Lord, but it's, it's your hands in your pockets and you're nervous. Um, my hope is that as you grow, as you encounter Jesus, as you change and transform into his image, as you learn who God is, as you... Discover his promise that is for you. There are promises that are for mankind, but there are promises specifically for you that God is speaking. As you discover those promises, that you will begin to change in how you engage with worship, that your hands move out of your pockets, that your mouths open, because you can't praise God without opening your mouth. Uh, So we open our mouths and we sing his praises, and we begin to incorporate our bodies and all that we are into worship. That's my, my hope for you, for each one of you. So be free to worship as your heart dictates, but be free to follow your heart as it follows Jesus, okay? Don't let your seat anchor you. Don't let your pockets anchor you, but be free to follow Jesus. So today is the last day that many of our young adults are with us. Actually, just a few of them are leaving this uh, semester for the summer. Uh, we do have a few people that are leaving us for good, and I don't even see him. <clears throat> his There's his wife. Where's Taylor? I just wanted to say, Taylor! Can you hear me? He can't hear me. Anyway, when you see Taylor, is he up there? No, it's not him. Uh, he's in the nursery. Yeah, 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 we're just leaving there. He's in there with his baby. Taylor has been speaking Thus, you know, he's been a part of our speaking team for the last year. He graduated with his master's in history and he is finished. So we're gonna like when you see him give him a big pat on the back and a big hug. And Sarah, when are you guys moving? Memorial Day weekend. So we will miss you. Everybody, I mean, am I right? Yeah, whoa. yeah we'll miss you. We're so glad- grateful to have you as part of our church. So, um, anyway, so they're leaving and others are going to be moving and going to all points beyond on the Palouse this year. Um, you've, you finished your stuff for the year and many of the, uh, just locals kind of in that same pattern, right? Where we kind of feel like, oh, it's done. The semester's over, even though I wasn't a student, it's just done. And now we're going to move on. And, uh, you know, Sometimes when that happens, we kind of see the carefree days of summer coming our way. We see, we see our vacations, we see our plans and our projects, we see the yard that needs to be weeded desperately, or the lawn that is three feet deep that needs to be mowed, and our, our attention begins to wander. Our attention begins to move away from what we've been focusing on the rest of the year to what we're going to focus on for the summer months. And this morning, I feel like uh, the Lord has brought an encouragement to me to give to you and uh, to share with you as you head into that time. I'm not saying don't go on vacation. I'm not saying don't, you know, go away for summer vacation. Although, Angel, you should stay here for the summer. Just saying. Really like hanging out with you. Um, So uh, what is the Lord saying to us? And I also want to give a a little bit of credit where credit is due. So this message today is, is coming out of a message that I have listened to a number of times from another pastor. And it's affected me. And as a matter of fact, not only is it something that God is working in me, even as we speak, it's something that he's working in our congregation because we've been singing these songs. So the, the, the original message is from Pastor Stephen Furtick, who is the pastor of Elevation Church, where a lot of our worship music is coming from. The song we just sang, uh, Do It Again, was out of that church and actually is out of this uh, concept that I'm going to preach this morning. But, so the title is his and the, the concept is from him. But really, it's from Jesus. And so this morning, you're going to get a little bit of Pastor Stephen. You're going to get a whole lot of Pastor Jamie. And beyond that, really, I hope, a whole lot of the Holy Spirit. All right? A whole lot of the Holy Spirit. So as we go into this, this encouragement for you as you go into the summer months, I want you to hear this. Don't stop on 6. Don't stop on 6. And I said that this morning. Kelly Fontaine said to me, does that mean I have to work continually? I can't stop at 6 p.m.? I have to keep working? I thought I'd get off at 6. What am I supposed to do? And then she's in the kids class, so she's not too worried about it. She's like, oh, I didn't hear it anyway. Uh, I don't have to act on that. So, so anyway, something I've come to learn about myself is that I am a 90 percenter. Is there any 90 percenters in here? You're like, I don't even know what that is. Okay, it's an A, right? 90% is an A. So that's pretty good. I'm pretty excited about getting a 90%. If I get a 90% on my paper or a grade, I'm like, yes! I'm really happy because it wasn't a 70%. But it doesn't just go to my grades and things like that where I've done education. It goes into all kinds of other areas of my life. When Heidi and I got married, um, I was definitely a 90 percenter. And you could tell because behind me, trailing along behind me was like this string of projects that were all like 90% done, right? The lawn was 90% mowed. The house was 90% cleaned. My socks were 90% of the way into the dirty clothes. Uh, 90%. And oh, am I being generous with myself, Heidi? Like 90%? It was more like maybe 40%. Yeah, maybe a 70%er. So now let me ask are there any other 90%ers in the room? 90%ers? Come on, let's be honest. Come on, Jesus loves you too. Promise 90%. No. He loves you 100 percent That's what's awesome about being a ninety percenter. 90%-er. So 90%ers, most of us, even though we may not identify as a ninety percenter, you have somewhere in your life where the ninety percent principle is happening, right? You've got it, you're ninety percent of the way there, but there's still that ten percent to go. It may be some small project like in our office. There's everything is done in this beautiful office that we've been building for four plus years, but there's still molding that is not done around the inside of the door. Ninety percent there, but not quite. 90% there. Janice is going cuz she's looked at it as long as I have and we're going, "Come on, why isn't that done?" We've got other places though. It may not just be projects. It's 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 all kinds of places. It's it's like in our in our workout programs. Our exercise. It may be in our home life. It may be in our spiritual life. It may be in our work life. Where we get 90% of the way. We get six sevenths of the way. That's, I know that's not 90% for you mathers. I don't even know what that percentage is. Six sevenths is, it's, it's a math. You can math it in your head. But you get six sevenths of the way. But that last little bit, that last little bit's the hardest. It might be our commitment to spend time with Jesus. We, we do it 90% of the time. It might be our commitment to read his word. We, we get 90% of the way done. Maybe it's setting healthy boundaries on your time. Well, 90% of the time I take a Sabbath. 90% of the time I do what I say I'm going to do. Maybe it's to make space for things that really give you life. Well, about 90%. And it seems good. But it's not all the way there. Many of us completed, which is really awesome, most of us completed the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course this last Wednesday night. And one of the things that we learned is, uh, that we can have skills that bring us closer to other people while we're growing closer to God. As we learn to love God well, we learn to love other people well. And we got all this whole pile of skills. And you can have those skills and, and learn them, and that's 90%. But that 10% is putting them into practice. And we could be 90%ers right there. Like we just, we got all this head knowledge, but we don't act on it. 90% there. We start out strong on something, and we're fired up and excited but we end in a whimper, right? We end in a, oh, I'm tired. And it's just like, there's the finish line. It's just, just over there. Even our desire to meet with people and God's people, to come here and to worship Jesus every week. Well, we can get to that place where it's like, well, you know, I'm making it 80, 90% of the time. I'm making that commitment to be here about that. Statistics show that it's, it's, it's actually two out of five Sundays that the average Christian comes in the United States. I don't even know what that percentage is. It's not 90%. It's not 90%. And then this isn't to make you feel guilty, but it's saying that this is my commitment to this gathering is about 2 out of 5. Not all the way there. I want to in my heart, but other things get in the way. Today, I want to look at two texts, a short one and a long one. And the other one's fairly long, and I'm going to have to read it to you. The first one, though, is from Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. 35 through 36. I might have this up on the screen uh, for you, and if you want to open your Bibles there, that's that's uh, awesome. For the rest of you, we're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 6. This is the big one, so it's on page 104 if you've got the blue Bible, and you want to turn there, and we'll show you the Hebrews passage up here. Now, I'll give you a little bit of background on what's happening in this Hebrews passage. First of all, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. There's a lot of options, some of them women, some of them men, so I'm just going to call them the author, so that we don't have any controversy this morning, because I'll have somebody come and say, no, it's Paul, and somebody will say, no, it's Junia, the, the female uh, apostle, and I'm like, it doesn't matter. So what they have to say is really awesome, because they are writing to the Hebrew people, the Jewish people of the first century, who are new Christians, who have come to faith in Jesus, and they are living um, under a lot of strain, because the the Jews who don't believe in Jesus, the Jews who believe that Jesus is not is a false messiah, are putting pressure on them. They are, they are forcing them uh, into places where they're losing their homes. They're, they're telling on them to the authorities in such a way that makes it look like they're um, against the Roman authorities and they're being imprisoned and they're being be- beaten and they're having their property removed. They're in this time of great strain, of great pressure. They have this super strong faith in Jesus. They believe deeply in him, but they're in this moment where they're in danger of taking their foot off the gas and backing off on their faith to say, well, you know, I don't have to come to church five Sundays out of the month, even on a four Sunday month. I only need to be there just a couple of times because I've got all this other stuff going on. And if I don't go that often, then they won't put so much pressure on me. I mean, I don't have to be so vocal about what I believe. I don't have to, to, to say, hey, I'll pray for you. I, I can just keep that quiet and still love Jesus. And they have this pressure to, to stop just short just short of their full faith, just short of their full passion, just short of what God is working in them, of shrinking back. And the right author here says something to them that's absolutely profound. He says this first. He says, remember, guys, what Jesus did. Remember that Jesus wasn't a 90-percenter. Remember that Jesus went all the way to the cross. He went all the way through the tomb, all the way to the resurrection. He went all the way in saving us from our sin. He went all the way in rescuing us from our brokenness. He went all the way in every way for you and for me. So because Jesus is our example, don't take your foot off the gas pedal. Don't shrink back. Don't back off. Remember what he did. And then he concludes his thoughts with this statement. And would you read this with me up on the screen here? Therefore, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, I added that, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So I want you to turn and look at a friend right now, and I want to wait. I want you to wake him up. Like, shake him and say, don't give up. Did you say that? Just somebody around you. You have to reach far, maybe, or you guys. There. Just say, don't give up. Okay, now you're all awake. Good job. All right, so let's look closely at this. The author is saying this, that life is busy, faith isn't popular, there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of strain, you've got other things going on, but don't take your foot off the gas pedal of your faith. Don't shrink back. And here's why. Because if you shrink back, you can miss what was promised. You can miss out on what was promised to you. The author of Hebrews is saying it is possible to set out on a journey with God, to start headed down a road, like a choo-choo train and hit the hill and not make it to the top because you give up. And when you don't make it to the top, you miss the promise. Like I said, that God has given each of us a promise. It's the promise of eternal life. It's the promise of salvation. But maybe it's the promise of of a restoration in a relationship. Maybe, you know, in the spirit, God has said to you, I want to make this thing whole. Maybe in the spirit, God has said to you, I want to work in your emotions and in your heart and in your mind so that you can relate to people really well and so that you can share the love of Jesus really well, and you're going to have these healthy and life-giving relationships. And this is the promise, and you're like, but I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet, God. That isn't happening yet, and you want to pull back, and you want to give up. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you felt like God has given you this image of a marriage that is healthy and whole, where you're relating to each other well, and your house is filled with love, and there's peace in your life, real peace in your life. It doesn't mean you don't argue, but there's peace. And that your kids are growing up and they're loving Jesus and they're not wandering far away and you've got this image in your mind and you feel like it's this promise from God and it's so hard because your kids are running off this direction and your wife seems angry with you or your husband seems to, to not pay you any attention and it doesn't look like the promise and the temptation is to back off and maybe even pull the foot off the gas pedal to slow down, take a break, Maybe even stop. Hebrews is saying that you can set out on a journey with Jesus. Take your foot off the gas pedal, not finish that journey, and in so doing, miss out on that promise that God put in your life, that vision that he has for your family, that vision that he has for your your heart and your mind, that vision he has for your city, that vision he has for your neighborhood, this promise that he has given you. Every word from the word of God will come to pass. He's going to make it so. But you might miss it. You might not see it happen. You might not see the fruition of that promise if you give up, if you pull back, if you stop at six. I want to illustrate this by looking backward at the Old Testament now, the book of Joshua chapter six. And a quick side note here, the books of Joshua and Judges Uh, A lot of people don't like reading them today. And, And honestly, I have a hard time with some of the things I see in there. If I just read it for face value, it makes God look angry. It makes God look unjust. There's all this death and dying and destruction, and it seems to have no point or purpose. There is a point and a purpose, and God is doing something spectacular here. He's building a people like no other. He is a God like no other, building a people like no other, in a way like no other. And there is a purpose, and there is hope. And there is life behind it. There is justice behind it. And it's hard to see. And we don't have time to go into all of the reasons why today. So what I want to ask you to do, if you're in that camp that has a hard time with the book of Joshua, the book of Judges, the Old Testament in general, I want you to take that mentally and take this concern and put it right up here and just set it there. I'm not saying ignore it. I'm not saying throw it away. I'm not saying it's not there or valid. Just set it aside for a minute and trust me. Trust Jesus for this moment and walk with me through this. Can you guys agree to do that? I hope so. Thank you. All right, so, because I really want you to hear what God has to say to you. I'm asking you to trust God's goodness, that he has an encouragement for you in this. So Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. I'm going to read this to you, and it's fairly long. Here we go. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hands with its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. You guys feeling a little repetitive yet? Seven times, six times, trees, trumpets na, 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 na. verse five. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall do what What? All the people shall do what? Shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, we don't know who his mom is apparently, Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant and let the seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, The seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns, before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant, and the Lord following behind them. The armed men were walking before the priests, who were blowing their trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark, while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, Your mouth, whoop, sorry, (laughs) commanded the people, You shall not shout, or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out from your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall Let me try that again. Then you shall shout. So he came. He caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp, and they spent the night in camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Verse thirteen. And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to camp. And so they did for six days. Now, you guys don't know where this story goes, right? They do this for six days, but on the seventh day, they get up super early, and they march around the city seven times. And on the seventh time, in silence, other than the ram's horns, other than the sound of praise from the the band, the worship band is playing, other than that sound, there is no sound. Seven times around the city, and on the seventh time, They lift up a great shout, and what happens? The walls fall down. The walls fall down. So this is Joshua chapter 6, and I want you to note that this is in chapter 6 of Joshua. And that these events are not just taking place in chapter 6 in a, you know, the breakup of chapters, but they're happening on the sixth day that these men and women have entered into the promised land. The land that God has given them already. They've crossed crossed the Jordan River. That was the boundary. That was the border of this land where God was going to make a people like no other people to worship a God like no other God so that the whole world would know that God is God and there is no other. The sixth day after they crossed that, here in chapter 6, they were 90% into the promised land. They were 90% of the way there. They had entered it. Now they had to take it. Now they had to face this great enemy that was set before them, the first obstacle to come their way. And not only is this like the first time this has happened, though, this is the second time this has happened, because for 40 40 years before this moment, the Israelites came to the edge of the border, and they, in, in faithlessness, said to God, it's impossible for us to take this. That first city that's right there, that Jericho, it's impossible. This land is filled with giants. It's full of obstacles. It's full of people who want to take our lives. We can't do this. And because of that, they had to wander around in the desert on the edge of the promise for 40 years as that generation dropped like flies one after another after another. They gave up. They took their foot off the gas pedal. They got to the edge of the promise 90% of the way there and they said, no, we're not going to do that. And now they're back. And now they've said, yes, in faith, we're going to follow God into this land. And now they're facing Jericho. Jericho, their first major obstacle. After walking on the edge of the promise, now they face it and they have to choose what they're going to do. Are they going to obey God or are they going to back off? A lot of us get to the edge of the promise or just short of the promise and we back off. Why do we do this? Why Why are we 90 percenters typically in our faith? Why are we 90 percenters when it comes to the things of God? I think there are three reasons, and I just want to draw them from the text real quick here. First of all is this, is that our perspective is often blocked. Take a closer look at verse 1 and 2. It says this, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel, right? There's the image. It's a city with gigantic walls with gates. Those gates are barred and locked, both inside and outside. In other words, nobody is getting in this place. In fact, it says nobody is going in and nobody is coming out. Anybody that's outside, you guys are done. You're looking down on the people going, let us in, let us in. You know, the Israelites are here and they're like, no, we're not opening these gates for anybody. Nobody is getting in. That's verse one. Verse two says this, and the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given you Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. So Joshua is standing here just having a conversational, a conversation with the master of the universe, right? He's having this casual moment of talking with God and God points over and says, see the city's yours. You see those high walls? Those, those high walls? Those are yours. You see those gates? Those are yours. You see those mighty men of valor up there? Okay, they're talking about, the Hebrew is talking about giants. These are the biggest, the strongest, the baddest soldiers. We're talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger on the wall with the big guns saying, I'll be back. okay? These are the mighty men of valor. And God says to Joshua, Joshua's down here because, you know, God is big and Joshua is not. So Joshua's down here and God's, he's like, see the, see the city? I've given it to you. And what Joshua sees is verse 1 joshua sees walls gates mighty men of valor joshua sees terminator god says see i've given you the city i can just imagine god in this moment and joshua in this moment it would be like it would be like you walking up to me and saying see jamie i've given you a million dollars and i'm going to be like pulling out my phone i'm going to pull up my uh, app for my my bank account and i'm going to take a look at it and i'm going to look at you and i'm going to look back at my bank account maybe it hasn't cleared yet so when do you think that'll post right when when you think that's going to happen oh it's happened i have given you the million dollars i think joshua is looking and he's saying um god are you where where are you looking where are you pointing is it, is it that city over there? Cause we can go get that one, I think. Cause there's just a bunch of people in tents over there. Those guys look, we could take them. You know, they're protecting the place with sheep. Let's go get them. And God says, uh, no, it's over here. Oh, you must be looking at somebody else's city, God. You must be looking at somebody else's promise because this one looks impossible. But God says, no, I have given you the city. This is the promise. But these people were prepared. They were prepared for these. For 40 years, they had known they were coming. They had seen them come to the edge. They'd seen the pillar of fire in the the desert. They'd seen the pillar of smoke in the desert as they wandered around. They'd heard the stories of what happened in Egypt, of all of these suddenly impoverished Egyptians that are now looking for work because the Israelites were led out by God carrying all the wealth of Egypt with them. They knew that this God was a God like no other, and they did everything they could to prepare, and they're using the latest technology called the brick. They didn't have walls. They didn't need to, but now they do. For 40 years, these people have been preparing. And that's what Joshua saw. 40 years of preparation, 40 years of armament, 40 years of training, 40 years of hard work. And he saw a wall that could not fall. But God says to him, lift your eyes just a little bit higher. Look just a little bit further beyond what you can see. See what nobody else can see. See the promise that I am giving you that nobody else can see and believe it. See, I have given you the city. See, in your mind, in your heart, I have given you the city. Many of us in this room have been there. We've received those promises from the Lord in the Spirit, from His Word, from a dream. And we're standing on the edge of it, and what we see is the walls. We see the barriers. I am so good at this. We come up with a great idea for a way to reach out into the community. You know the first thing that I do? Well, that won't work because of. Well, we can't do that. Because of. I'm a little bit of a negative Nelly. We can't, we can't make that happen. We'll never, no, there's, here's, here's why. There's this reason, there's this reason, there's this reason. There's bricks. There's the people with the spears. There's the gates. Did you see that they used iron on those gates? Like, we're still using bronze tools. These things bend. They got iron over there. And that's, that's, that stuff's impenetrable. Here's why it won't work. I'll tell you all the reasons. We're there. All we see is the wall of work. The wall of school, the wall of family life, the wall of our family history, the brokenness of a relationship. We see the alcohol, we see the drugs, we see all of these things. It won't work. It's different for each of us. These are the things that stand in the way of God's promises. And God is standing there right now saying to you, Look, I've given you the city. Those walls and those gates and those men, those are all yours too. I'm overcoming. I'm going to walk right through this stuff. You have to obey. Hold on. And we're saying, wait, what? What are you saying, God? How can you say that that's finished? How can you say that this is done? God say, no, it's yours. This is yours. I am giving you this city. And you're looking at it and you're going, you know, God, that wall looks pretty well engineered. I mean, the mortar looks pretty good. Wait, is that a crack? Oh, no, that's just a joint. Hey, good work, guys. That's nice. That's nice masonry right there. And God's going, come on, lift your eyes and look, see that I have given you the city. And this is why worship is so critical to the church because worship lifts our perspective. Worship lifts our eyes and lifts our hearts to see what cannot be seen. It's declaring things that are truth, that when you go to work on Monday morning and you're singing, the promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. And you see this wall, when you see this obstacle, when you see this pain, and I can't do this, God. And he says, my promise still stands. My promise still stands. We sing this over and over again, and God is saying it to you this morning. His promise still stands. His promise still stands. Don't give up. Lift your eyes and look to see what God is saying. The second reason is because our progress isn't obvious. You guys all know about me and my love of exercise. I love to hate it. We don't get along. I set out an exercise program. I'm a good 90 percenter when it comes to exercise. That's right. Ninety percent, or I give ninety percent of lack of effort and ten percent effort every time. I came to realize, as I was thinking this through, that the reason that I me and exercise don't get along real well is because progress isn't obvious. If I was to get down on the floor right now and do a plank, and my abs, you could physically hear this pop, 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 pop. I could do a plank all day long right if i was to pick up some dumbbells because that's what they're dumb right these are stupid stupid things are heavy that's why they call them dumbbells if i was to pick them up and i was to do this curl and suddenly my shirt got real tight and then i did another one and then like it was splitting you know the hulk instead how many of you guys seen infinity wars infinity wars of okay just going to throw this out there there's there's a scene in it i'm not going to spoil the end but where bruce banner is trying to become the hulk and he's talking to the hulk but the hulk doesn't want to come out he keeps saying no that's what happens with my muscles i'm like come on hulk and it's like no Mm -mm." and i'm like you and me got to have a conversation and it's just like i don't see progress i could lift for a year i worked tree work for like almost six years Heidi says, you look great. And I'm looking down, I'm like, all I see is the same thing that I had when I started. I don't, not, I don't look like Dylan. You know, his arms get to be big old guns when he starts lifting. I, I don't, it doesn't happen to me. It doesn't work, those stupid weights. That's why they're dumb. But if every time I lifted a weight, the Hulk came out. If every time I did a plank, my abs, I went from, you know, a pack to a 12 pack or a 13 pack. Yes, I have an extra ab. And, and it was it was just amazing. And what if every time I read my Bible, I got this revelation from God on the whole world and, and existence and, and salvation and my brokenness and, and everything changed? What if every time I spent a, a minute in silence, like God's voice was like, Jamie, you know. If every time I made an effort to do one of those things and the outcome that I was hoping happened and came, I could do them all day long. I could never talk if I heard from God all the time. I could read my Bible, continue. I wouldn't even need to eat. If God was changing everything every time I read my Bible, if every time I got on my knees to pray, like fire fell and the world was changed and people were healed and touched every time, I could go on forever. But it doesn't work that way, does it? It doesn't. Reality is, we can do plank for a year and get an ab. We could pray for the rest of our life and maybe never see that prayer come to fruition. This is reality. Every time we sing a worship song, every time we come to church, you might not experience the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. That never-ending, reckless love of God is here for you, but you may not experience it. And you know why that is? It's because, for God, what he is doing in you is more important than what is going on around you. Our lives are so much more ordinary than one plank and sudden ab results. It's so much more ordinary than what television promises. Is. With five easy payments, you can buy this machine and you're going to look amazing in two easy workouts. It doesn't work that way. Reality is, it's so much more ordinary. We don't always get clarity. Did you notice that these guys, they walked around the walls for seven days before anything happened? Now, if I was God dangerous last words, right? If I was God in this story, if I was God, knowing exactly how these people were created, what was going on in their lives and who they were, and exactly how to motivate them, God would be the master motivator, right? God could just, you know, he just gives you exactly what you need so you can be motivated to take that next step. If I was God, every time the guys marched around the city, it would have been like Tetris, you know, the top layer of the bricks. And they would have gone back home and been like, you know, their wives are like, oh, how did work go today, honey? It's like, oh, great, we marched around the wall once, and it was awesome. The top thing went, came down. We're going to do this again tomorrow. There's only seven courses. It's going to be over by the end of the week. Right? That would be awesome. But that's not what happened. They walked around the wall, and they went home. How was work today, honey? Um... Pretty sure Joshua's just warming us up. He's getting us some exercise. Um, we're going to go back at it tomorrow. I've got it on my calendar. We're going to take the city tomorrow. And they go out tomorrow. And they walk around once. So did you take the city today, honey? Well, I think maybe Joshua is trying to scare him a little bit. So we'll probably take it tomorrow. For six days, they do this. For six days, they walked around the city and nothing happened. For six days, all we're doing is walking around and blowing our horns. All we're doing is stepping behind the guy in front of us and worshiping with a really, let's be honest, if you've ever heard of ram's horn, they're really annoying sound. It's just really grating. But it's what they use, to declare God's strength. That's all. We don't like to wait for that wall to fall. If you promise a five-year-old ice cream later, right? This is proof of humanity, right? Hey, five-year-old, we're going to get ice cream later. What do they do three minutes later? Is now later? Is now later? Is this later? Are we going to get ice cream yet? By the time 15 minutes has gone by, you're ready to, you know, lock them in a cage someplace by their toenails. Leave me alone. We're never going to get ice cream. We don't like waiting to get ice cream. We don't like waiting for the abs to pop. We don't like waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled. But what if God is doing something in you as you walk? What if you're focused on the end result, but God is focused on the process and what that process will accomplish in you? I've learned that in life, outcomes are God's. Actually, I probably said that a little strong. I'm learning in life that the outcomes are God's. I keep getting focused on the outcomes, God. You said this is the promise, It's not happening yet, and I get discouraged, but I learn that it's my responsibility to walk and be obedient, and that God is taking care of the outcomes. God is taking care of the outcomes. Obedience is my only responsibility, and sometimes the battle I see right in front of me is not as nearly important as the battle that is going on inside of me. As God is waging war against the strongholds of my heart, And taking down those things that are separating me from him. The things that make me look not like him. The things that make me separated from other people. God is breaking them down as I walk in obedience and in faithfulness. He's working where I can't see. The muscles are growing in ways that I can't understand. The walls are shaking and I don't know it. And God is saying, don't stop at six. Don't go around the wall six times and get 90% there and stop there. Don't put your, take your foot off the gas pedal. God is asking you, are you willing to walk even when the situation seems impossible and the dream, the promise seems impossible and it's way out there? Will you keep walking? Will you keep walking? Lastly, we give up because the process is open-ended. Oh, this is so me. I want to know when this is going to be over, right? I want to get in the car and I want to know where the end destination is. And if I'm not driving the car, I'm in the backseat saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? It's like when you go to the nurse and you get a shot. You guys ever get a shot recently? The nurse says to you, you walk in, you sit down, it's going to be okay. It's just going to be a quick pinch and then it'll be over. And then they wipe your thing and there's just a little cool thing. And then, okay, here comes quick pinch. Okay, and now it's over. They've told you the whole process, right? You knew what was going to happen. You knew it was coming. And when she says it's over, it's over. That's nice. Even if it is a shot, it's over. And we're like, thank goodness it's over. But in life and in faith, we enter a journey and we don't know where that journey is going and we don't know when it's going to be done. And we don't necessarily even know what it's going to look like on the other side. Look at this. Look what God tells Joshua and this is really repetitive, you shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow their trumpets and on and on and on and on. And And then the walls are going to fall down flat. That's what God says to Joshua. Now look what Joshua says to the men of Israel. So Joshua, son of Nun, calls the priests and says to them, take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. None of that whole seven-day business. None of that was there. He never told them how long they're going to go. God gave like this long list of instructions, and at the end of that, it says the walls are going to fall. He doesn't tell them any of that. He doesn't give them the details. He doesn't give them the roadmap. How long is this going to last? One day, two days, three days, seven days. All of his men knew was that they were to walk around the wall. Imagine the soldiers here. I mean, just imagine, day one, day two, day three, we've kind of walked through this. By day four, they're going to think this guy's off his rocker, right? What are we accomplishing here? We're just walking around a wall. I mean, the band's getting great practice. They sound good, but all I'm doing is walking, carrying this spear, Three, four days, that's a long time to follow somebody in something that you don't understand. But seven days is really, it's an eternity when you think your leader has lost his mind. And many of you are saying, I've been following you around for eight years. They say that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. So these guys are feeling pretty like this is insane. But they obeyed. Have you ever been on one of those long hikes that where you start out all fresh and you're like, it's such a beautiful day, it's just it's a gorgeous morning and you're just excited to be out in the outdoors and about you know hour two or hour three you're like, oh, I'm a little bit sweaty, a little bit clammy. Let's take this, let's take the fleece off and put it in the backpack and you walk a little further and you know as you go by about five o'clock in the evening when the dust is dry in your mouth and your feet are sore. The journey doesn't seem like it was such a great idea anymore. You're like, are we even there at the end yet? I've had this happen where I go on hikes with Heidi. She knows where the end's at. I'm just following along with her, and I've got the backpack, and we get like three-quarters of the way up the mountain, and then it starts raining. We have to turn around and go home. That happened with Emma when she was just like an infant. We had her in a backpack, and it's raining, and I made a puddle in the backpack. We had to turn around and go home. I didn't even get to the end of the journey, and my feet hurt, and I was tired, and I was wet, and I was sore, and this is just like, like the journey that we have in our lives. It is. We start out on a journey, and we're fresh, and we're excited. The vision that God gave us seems awesome, and it seems possible because God is leading it. But along the way, we get tired. Our feet start hurting. The obstacles seem a little bigger. The end point is not so clear. Where God is leading this thing is not so clear. And we're tempted to give up our hope tempted to give up on the dream. We're tempted to give up on the promise. We're tempted to take our foot off the gas pedal. We're tempted to do just a little bit less with our faith. We're tempted to show up just a little bit less. We're tempted to be involved just a little bit less. We're tempted to worship just a little bit quieter, just to have our hands in our pockets just a little bit longer. In the Bible, there's this whole numerology thing, and I'm not into biblical numerology. Like, they added it all up, and recently, like, it was like April 24th, God was going to come again, and and then all of a sudden it wasn't, and, you know, it's funny math, and then there's new math, and then they're, like, carrying the four, and I don't know. But in the Old Testament specifically, these guys really liked to use symbols, and they used number symbols a lot. I pointed out to you that this was chapter 6, and it was on the sixth day, right? On the sixth day of creation, God created man. And in the Old Testament, whenever you see six times, things like that, it's talking about man. Six is the symbolic number for man. On the seventh day of creation, in Genesis chapter 1, God rests. It becomes the number of perfection, of completeness, that it is finished, it is over, it is done, and it is the number of God. God, in chapter 6 of Judges, on the sixth day in the promised land, says to march around the wall seven times. They march around six times, and they could have stopped at six and walked away. But they've obeyed and followed the Lord into day seven. On the seventh day, which also happens to be the Sabbath day, the day of rest for the Israelites, they take a hike around the city. And what does God do? When they couldn't do anything, God showed up. When they were powerless to take a single brick off the wall, God showed up. God knocks the walls down flat on the seventh day. Don't stop at six. Don't give up At six, don't go 90% in your faith. Don't go 90% of the way in your relationships. Don't go 90% of the way in your work. Don't give up. The promise still stands. He is still calling you. He is still supporting you. He is still leading you. Somebody here this morning is in the midst of a time in their life where they're afraid that it's never going to end. It feels like it's not going to end, that this is never going to work. The promise will not happen. You're walking around the same wall and not a brick has moved. The mortar hasn't cracked. There's still just dust in your mouth with sore feet, and that's it. Spiritually, you're exhausted, but God is not through with you yet. He's not done with you yet. His promise still stands. The wall is going to fall. The promise still stands. Lift up your eyes and praise, because his promise still stands. Keep stepping out one foot in front of the other. His promise still stands God is doing great work in you, not just around you. His promise still stands. Don't stop at six. This is an encouragement for you. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't allow the length of the journey to cause you to back off. Don't allow the size of the obstacles to create fear in you because the promise still stands. God has got this. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I'd like you to take a moment. We're going to take one full minute of silence. And I don't know where you're at. All of us are different places. We're all got some place in our life where we're right at 90%. We need that little push to get across the hump, right? We're all headed into our summers and we're tempted to back off. Where in your life did you need to hear these words? The promise still stands. Don't stop. I'm take a moment in silence. Just let the Lord speak to that one place. And you might be one of those people who like, oh, got, I got like thirty places. God's going to highlight one. One place in your life that He is calling you to right now step out in obedience. And then we're going to go to a, a lab time, a small group time in a minute. But let's just take a minute and let the Lord speak to us. And do that. spirit has spoken something to you maybe a very vulnerable thing and you don't feel confident sharing this to somebody so i'd like you to get into groups of maybe two and uh, you can either share that thing if you feel comfortable with that person if you don't feel comfortable you can say yeah the lord showed me a place god revealed a place in my life where i need to keep walking in faith and obedience would you just pray for one another we're going to just take the next 2 minutes, 3 minutes and uh, just pray for one another. You can share briefly if you want or not. Just say I have this place and pray for one another and then we're going to close with a song. So, would you guys go to go to some prayer groups, groups of 2 or so. Look around, find people that are that are straggling, that are that don't have somebody if you can.